0: Of the sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Reverend Don Lincoln. Good morning, Paoli. Good to be back. It's hard to believe I'm here for the last of my four Sundays with you. Time flies, they say, when you're having fun. It's been a great, it's been a great season. Thank you. Um, And, you know, living in this area for 23 years um, and knowing about Paoli, um, but I had other obligations on Sunday for the last 22. And and what a treat to be able to share in the life of this great congregation for uh, a month and and to be here when your PNC is announcing, we've got a candidate. Um, How exciting to think about your next chapter. You need to know, I've been telling colleagues all over the country, this is a plum position. (laughs) A great congregation, a great community, and a a bright future ahead with a a rich reputation of serving Jesus Christ and the gospel in this area. So I'm, I'm excited for you and and for your new pastor. Um, It is a communion Sunday and we'll come to the Lord's table following uh, worship. So those of you, um, if you did not get elements and would like them, you can put a hand up or ushers could get those to you if anybody needs that. And those of you online find, um, you know, bread, cracker, juice, water, wine, you know, anything works. Um, we don't want you not to be able to be at the table with us. I've chosen a text actually from the gospel of Matthew today. I, I, um, I didn't want you to think after three straight weeks of Luke, it was the only gospel I preached from, but, um, and, and it's about fishermen. And if, if I'd been here for a long time, like I was at Westminster, they learned that fishing is well, it's biblical, of course. And, and it's something I love to do and something I hope to do more of in retirement. I've done a little bit. I'm a fly fisherman. I'm not. Well, that's a whole other story. Anyway. So listen to God's word from the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter. From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, break open your word as we ponder at this day that That we might respond to you immediately with our lives and our gifts and our service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't remember exactly the first time my father said it, but I know there was a first time when my dad said to me, Donnie, follow me down to the basement. And Lincoln Basement, probably like many of yours. It was an amazing place. It was storage for all sorts of things that you couldn't put upstairs. I think like suitcases you didn't leave out in the living room anyway. It was our laundry room, washer and dryer were down there. was the furnace was down there. There there were clotheslines, because my mom loved to hang clothes outside. And when it was raining, you could hang the sheets and clothes and the clothesline down the base. There was a a ping pong table down there and a swing actually hung from the the I-beam. When I was young, I could swing under the watchful eye of my mother while she was doing laundry. There was a big double double concrete sink wash tub thing that you could actually scrub clothes on. Paint brushes got cleaned there. When your jeans got muddy, they got rinsed off there before they went in in the washing machine. But really, the basement was mostly my father's sanctuary his shop massive workbench pegboards along a whole wall filled with tools of every shape and size and with every purpose there was boxes of scraps of, of wood of various sizes and metal shelves with jars filled with nails and screws and nuts and bolts and washers and staple and drill bits and all kinds of things i didn't even know what purpose they had it was holy ground the first invitation for my father to follow him to the basement was was followed by countless other similar invitations and little by little i was introduced to the mysteries of the basement first it was hand tools screwdrivers and hammers and files and the, real, the one I really remember was the proverbial coping saw as these tiny slender little blades and I broke 3,000 of them probably before learning the the purpose was to cut curves in this tiny little blade in, in wood and I actually made a, a sconce from my mother one Christmas with that little coping saw. Eventually, I got introduced to other tools, sharper tools, tools that actually plugged in made lots of noise, and required caution and respect. Over the years, I learned the art of making things new, of of repairing things broken, tackling projects small and large, and the joy of completing a task and having, having a finished product. But, you know, in all those times... Never once did my father say to me, do you know what's going to happen to you if you don't learn these things? Come down the basement now. Learn the use of tools or you'll end up paying someone outrageous hourly wages to do something you could do simply with your own hands. How will you spend your life, Don, an eternity of hiring subcontractors or satisfaction of a job well done by yourself? Son, decide now. Never once. Such confrontational, harsh words. It was always a simple invitation. Donnie, let's go down to the basement. A gradual, gentle learning process. Although I, I have to admit, I never quite found the patience to do the 17 coats of lacquer, sanding in between each one to get the mirror finish on a piece of furniture. It was not my thing. But I learned countless lessons and skills. So now every time I replace a toilet, install a cabinet, measure cuts for crown molding, replace a light switch that's broken, or use my compound miter saw without cutting off my fingers, I am grateful for my my dad's simple invitation. Follow me. My father was an evangelist, a shop evangelist. And through his invitation my life was changed forever and i still use what i learned from him on a daily basis almost hung two cabinets on friday our text today is also about an invitation an invitation from jesus to a handful of fishermen to come and follow him and jesus uses a a metaphor connecting their current life to the new life to which he's calling them. I will make you fish for people. My guess is when Jesus spoke to farmers, he talked about seeds and plows and sowing. Or when there were herders in his midst, he talked about sheep or shepherds or sheepfolds. The one at the well, he talked about the waters of life. Jesus spoke about bread. He spoke about salt and vines and city gates. He told stories about roadside muggings, powerful judges, neighbors at midnight, lighting lamps in the house, searching for lost change. Over and over, Jesus reframed his message. To meet people, I think, his audience, his listeners, where they were in a space that they would recognize and connect with. His invitations varied his methods adjusted. Jesus' tools, if you will, as an evangelist, were more numerous and more effective than all the tools in my father's workshop. Or, or maybe I can I keep the fishing in analogy. Jesus had more lures in his tackle box for every kind of fish he would meet. But it was always, or mostly, an invitation. An invitation to a new way of thinking a new way of perceiving a new way of being a new way of knowing and being known of living to which folks were invited to engage because jesus was an evangelist now evangelism the the e word particularly in presbyterian churches has gotten a bad rap over the Years for many of us, indeed for many in the world, evangelism has been pigeonholed into a narrow, pointed, confrontational presentation of a very specific kind of decision. If you died on the way home from church today, where would you go? The fires of hell, or with Jesus? And and sometimes that works. In fact, sometimes that may be exactly what somebody needs to hear at that particular moment in their life. And if you've never personally pondered that question, maybe just stop listening to me and think about that for the rest of the sermon. I mean, most of us know in life there are certain times that call for for tough love or harsh warnings or pointed directions. Even whoever programmed all our GPSs figured out they should just say when we miss that road, Make a U-turn now. And, and you know, if I remember correctly, it had to be a few times in the shop when my father said, don't turn that on yet. Look where your hand is. Jesus, I know, was confrontational at times and, and, and can guess he knew when that was needed, but it's clear that was not his only or even his dominant method for getting his message across. behold, I stand at the door and knock. Not, I'm on the front porch with a fire ax and I'm coming in whether you like it or not. The former is invitational and relational. The latter does not feel like the way of love, almost feels like bullying. When I was in college, there was a guy in my dorm who I think spent every waking minute figuring out how to get The guys in the 160 rooms in our building to say the words, Jesus is Lord. He bases evangelism technique on a verse from 1 Corinthians that says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he manufactured word games. He had people read paragraphs aloud which contained the phrase, Jesus is Lord. And then he would mark his evangelistic victories on a chart on his wall in the dorm room. Room 247, two saved. Now, I'm not sure about the number of real conversions, but I do know he succeeded in raising the ridicule factor of Christianity by 1,000%. It was the brunt of more than a few jokes. Of course, he took that as validation of his work by quoting Matthew 5. Blessed are you when you're persecuted on my account. He, he had it all worked out. but as a follower of Jesus myself i was embarrassed and i saw him turning off way more people than he engaged but friends one of one of the byproducts of of our distaste, my distaste, probably some of your distaste for confrontational evangelism, folks who pastor us on the street corner, have you been saved? Is if you and I only think of evangelism in those terms and find it offensive, it's, it's just a whole lot easier to let ourselves off the hook. Evangelism literally means gospel yelling the good news. Our text said it. Jesus went through Galilee doing what? Not beating people over the head with a Bible two by four. Proclaiming good news. Jesus, our text says, said, preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Not repent because of how far away you are or or how soon you're going to be toast or on the off chance you'll get run over by a chariot today. Repent because the kingdom has come near. It's it's right here, right now, and all you have to do is turn around and look at it. See it. Turn around. Repent. Open your eyes. Open your mind. Open your heart. See the love and grace of what God desires for the world and let that change your life for the better and the lives of others through you. The kingdom is close by. It's funny how many scholars make... A lot of how these four guys immediately, and it says it in both sets, immediately drop their notes and follow Jesus immediately. And of course, most of us in ministry and, and everyone else will say, you know, well, I mean, it was Jesus after all. I mean, how do you how do we refuse that? I mean, well, we can't expect people to respond to us like that. To which I, I do remind myself and, and those of us in here, Jesus isn't here to do the inviting anymore. It's up to you and me. And, and my concern is that we've either dismissed the idea of sharing good news because we don't like the way we've seen it done or we say it's too hard or it's just not my gift. Good news doesn't have to be that hard because it's Good news. My favorite metaphor for evangelism, one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. I mean how many of us have a difficult time telling a neighbor or a family member or a friend about a great new restaurant we tried? Do you know the overwhelming majority of people in most Presbyterian church new member classes First come to a church because they were invited. Invited by someone. A family member, a neighbor, a co-worker. How, how hard is it to say, you know, I go to this great church. You want to come with me some Sunday? And and think, you know, looks like a few weeks from now you're going to have a new pastor. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in September and October? we got this great new pastor who's who's speaking about good news that meets my heart and speaks in the current context of the troubled world in which you and I live. You ought to come. There is one other character in this story, Zebedee, the, the father, and, and, you know, what's with him? Why doesn't he go? And I've heard explained, you know, by others, well, he obviously wasn't a risk taker. He wanted to stay in the boat like most of us want to do. And I, I've, I've heard that sermon and I've probably preached it. But, but, you know, maybe, maybe Zebedee wasn't invited. Or maybe Jesus knew that the road was going to be tougher for Zeb than it was for his boys. Maybe intense full-time discipleship wasn't his calling. Maybe Jesus had already talked to Zebedee earlier. How many of your sons can you spare for this ministry? I mean, Zebedee's still got a job. Somebody's got to fish. Somebody's got to put food on the table. Somebody actually has to fund the missionaries who are going out in the field. Imagine that. But Zebedee can still be an evangelist. Imagine the neighbors. Hey, Zeb, what what happened to James and John? Oh, man. (laughs) Come here. Sit down in the boat. Let me tell you what they're experiencing, what they've seen. It's amazing stuff. In other words, everyone doesn't have to leave their vocation to be an evangelist. Jesus only called 12. We need people to fish. We need doctors and teachers and carpenters. But every single one of us can be an evangelist, a bearer of good news no matter who we are no matter what our context. Because it's good news. And all of us can find a way to say it. Jeff Rocky last week, the time of confession, great line. Nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less. Imagine how many times Troubled spots in somebody's lives where you and I can say simply that and introduce somebody to the good news of the gospel. I mean, what does it take to say, I found a great place to find bread? Come on, Donnie, let's go down the basement. My dad loved and nurtured and cared for his son and taught me much. But more than anything else, my dad loved Jesus. And thanks be to God all along the way, I learned not only how to use tools, but also in his own gentle way, mostly by example, I learned what it meant to follow a risen and living Lord. Because in word and in deed, every day, no matter what he was about, my father was a witness, a quiet, gentle, invitational witness to an amazing God. May it be so for each of us. It's really not that hard. Amen. So, couple millennium ago, Jesus invited, (laughs) invited a handful of folks, his his closest friends, those some he he called out of out of fishing boats to come and and have a, a meal with him, a supper with him. And guess what? That supper's still going on. That meal has never ended. So friends, the Lord invites us to to his table. Invites us to come and sup. And I'm going to start with the old language of the great prayer of Thanksgiving. If it's it's familiar to you, there's a little response in the beginning. You know, speak up. If, If not, just I'll say the parts to it as well. But the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Holy God, we praise you for your love, for bringing order out of chaos, breathing life into dust, leading captives into freedom, consuming false idols with holy fire, calling wandering children home, giving bread to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, and raising the dead to new life. So we pray, Holy God, let your Holy Spirit move over us and over these earthly gifts of bread and cup that they may be for us, the communion of the body and blood of Christ. We pray this in the name of the one who invites us all to this table this day, in his name, amen. We'll partake of the elements individually. First, the bread and the, the cup will give you time to Peel open your packets. On the night before he died, our Lord took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, the bread of life. After the same manner, when he had finished supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is in the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do so remembering me. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the blood of Christ shed for us all, drink ye all of it. Let's pray. Holy God, with our whole hearts and minds, this Lord of creation trusting you to hear us when we call, we offer our prayers. We give you thanks for this holy meal and for the way in which its communion binds us together with you, with the saints who have gone before and with those who because of our witness, our good news, who come after us, because they've invited, been invited by us to the table. We claim today the promises that people have claimed across the generations of God that in Christ you've redeemed your people, that through your Son you brought beauty and truth and justice. In the fullness of time, you will completely redeem this world. Until then, remind us we have been created in your image to share the joy and peace of Christ in the world. Peacemaking God, we ask you to send your peace more fully into creation to take root amid the ongoing tensions in so many places in the world, especially Israel, Palestine, North and South Korea, Niger, Ukraine and in our cities and towns as violence and unrest continues to thrive. Merciful God, for those who are sick and those who are injured, we pray for your healing and compassion. We pray as well for all those who are in hospice care, awaiting test results, undergoing treatments. You know their deepest needs for your hope, strength, and peace in their lives. Bless them and keep them in your care. No, God, as we begin another week, fill us with compassion for those in need of shelter, of a friend, or for an advocate. But most of all, equip us, each of us in our own way, to speak good news to someone who is hungry for a word of your grace and your love. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.